Today's episode is brought to you by Canva. Uh, We're all looking for ways to make an impact at work, but not all of us are skilled in visual design. A Canva helps you get your point across uh, simply and beautifully. It's easy to design Canva presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos. You start with a designer-made template and customize it with your content. Uh, plus, add graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Whatever department you work in, Canva is perfect for any task. Sales decks, hiring docs, marketing brainstorms, employee videos, you name it. Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. This episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hears from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Welcome to BrainStuff from How Stuff Works. Hey, BrainStuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. Celebrated paleo artist Ray Troll told us in an email, shared passion for an obscure topic is what binds scientists and artists. They're both curiosity-driven. And he would know. Based in Alaska, Troll builds on scientific findings to create art that depicts prehistoric life. Through paleo art, fossils are revived. A single drawing or sculpture can define how the public will visualize an extinct species. So paleo artists strive to keep their work as accurate as possible, a task that gets harder when the experts disagree. It's a tough job, to be sure, but also a dream job for loads of fossil fans and dinosaur enthusiasts. But how do they go about creating it? First off, a little history. A dinosaur renaissance changed the game. Paleo art didn't always feature dinosaurs. All prehistoric organisms, from early palm trees to woolly mammoths, make worthy subjects. Nevertheless, the fascinating reptiles were at the center of a significant period in the history of this art form, called the dinosaur renaissance. 
Uh, prior to the 1960s, dinosaurs were largely written off as dim-witted, tail-dragging hulks. Most paleo art from the early 20th century reflects that view. But in 1969, Yale paleontologist John Ostrom published a new paper on Danonychus, an 11-foot, that's 3.3-meter predator, akin to the Jurassic Park imagining of Velociraptor. Noting its long legs and sickle-shaped claws, Ostrom claimed Danonychus was an athletic beast who ran down its prey and might have even hunted in packs. The scientist went on to popularize the now widely accepted idea that today's birds are descended from Mesozoic dinosaurs. Exciting hypotheses like these changed the discourse about how dinosaurs looked and behaved. In the 1970s and 80s, a growing number of artists responded by illustrating the creatures in active, dynamic poses. What followed was a renewed public interest in both the study of dinosaurs and in paleo art itself. But there was a problem. Bare bones and skeletons often don't tell you a whole lot about the overlying soft tissue. Hence, some paleo artists have chosen to reconstruct animals, reptiles in particular, as lanky beasts with ultra-low body fat, skinny tails, and heads that are largely devoid of cartilage or loose skin. This practice has been called shrink-wrapping, and if you couldn't tell from the moniker, it's been contentious. Troll broke it down for us. Quote, I think there are some really valid points to be made about shrink-wrapping. Many paleo artists are reluctant to jump into more speculative reconstructions, preferring to play it safer. So, by keeping their animals lean and mean, paleo artists can highlight known skeletal anatomy without making conjectural guesses about an animal's soft tissues that might not have been preserved. Back in the dinosaur renaissance, shrink-wrapping was in fashion. That's no longer the case. Modern critics point out that living animals tend to look a lot different than you might expect if you had nothing to go on but their naked skeletons. A troll pointed out that things like trunks, ears, and blubber don't usually fossilize. We also spoke via email with Matt Seleski, a paleo artist and museum exhibit designer who also offered his thoughts on the issue. Quote, Today's paleo artists are looking more closely at the extent of soft tissue in living animals. I think this fleshing out of paleo art makes for heightened levels of believability in the reconstructions and greater diversity in the way artists approach their subjects. In other words, chunky limbs and necks, and not to mention poofy dino feathers, have gone mainstream but figuring out what those features might have looked like takes some serious research. To scientists, the skeletal drawing is one of the most useful forms of paleo art. An animal's skeleton is usually depicted in an upright position, that is, standing or running, and juxtaposed against a black silhouette that represents the creature's body profile. Unfortunately, in the fossil record, complete skeletons tend to be rare. When parts are missing or broken, scientists and artists can only speculate about what those elements looked like. Seleski said, Every skeleton presents unique challenges, but I find the most difficult thing is filling in the parts you don't know, extrapolating the shapes of missing bones or correcting the shapes of bones that have been damaged or distorted by time. Filling in each missing piece involves a complex mix of research, inference, and educated guesses, and I always wonder if there are better choices than the ones I end up making. But these efforts aren't new. Let me take you back to 1853, when sculptor Benjamin Waterhouse Hawkins was hired to build more than 30 full-sized concrete models of prehistoric animals for Crystal Palace Park in London, England. The man really did his homework, consulting experts, scrutinizing fossils, and reviewing the scientific literature. In short, he was a dedicated paleo artist. One of Hawkins' iguanodon molds had a carnivorous gut big enough to hold a table and some chairs— so, as a publicity stunt for his project, 21 guests, including paleontologists William Buckland and Sir Richard Owen, were invited to climb down into the belly of the beast for an eight-course dinner party. The big shindig took place on New Year's Eve in 1853. Restoration projects have helped these masterworks survive to the present day. 
The beasts attract thousands of visitors every year, even though they're no longer deemed accurate. Hawkins Megalosaurus, for example, stands menacingly on all fours, but scientists now think the meat-eating dinosaur was bipedal. Nevertheless, the Victorian-era giants capture the prevailing wisdom of their time, giving them immense cultural value. Prehistory matters, but so does our history. Today's episode was written by Mark Mancini and produced by Tyler Klang. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more on this and lots of other well-preserved topics, visit our home planet, HowStuffWorks.com. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Canva. Uh, We're all looking for ways to make an impact at work, but not all of us are skilled in visual design. Uh, Canva helps you get your point across, uh, simply and beautifully. It's easy to design Canva presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos. You start with a designer-made template and customize it with your content. Uh, Plus, add graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Whatever department you work in, Canva is perfect for any task. Sales decks, hiring docs, marketing brainstorms, employee videos, you name it. Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare.